0: Leave me seated. Woo, got lots of woohoos. So if I say the name, well, if I say Robin Leach, some of you think about fishing for walleyes. Uh, others of you think about the iconic 1984 series, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Back in the day, there weren't many channels, so you just watch what was on, right? Robin Leach would go around and, and he, would, he would experience all of these lifestyles of the rich and famous, and we would think about, champagne, right? The, the finish, the finishing line. Did we not watch Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? For those of you who are like, are my age, think MTV Cribs, but way more like refined. Or if you're even younger than I am, you think of like the Kardashians, or just like nowadays, we don't even watch shows, we just watch Instagram stories. We just like Instagram story, or if you're, or you just watch TikTok videos, or You know what I mean. But Robin Leach, champagne wishes and caviar dreams, and we got to see how the the rich and famous live their lives, and we thought, how do people even live like this? All these bougie lifestyles and flying from here to there and jet setting. It's like sometimes when uh, on big days, Nicky and I will go down to the cities or whatever, and we'll go out to eat, have a special meal, and it's like a Tuesday, and you're like, this is just like a Tuesday. These people are like eating all this delicious food, and it's like a Tuesday. Now we have lifestyle brands. What does your lifestyle look like? Today we have an interesting passage, and I want to try something new. It's a little bit like if you have ever watched the movie Memento. We're going to actually start at the end of the passage, or this section of text, and then we're going to go back to the beginning. and Then we're going to also try something that for some of us is going to be awkward, which is okay, and for some of us it's going to be old, so then it'll feel good, like an old quilt and some of us it'll just well we probably won't participate so then it'll be nothing it'll just be time filler so at the end of this section in verse 6 the writer says the lord is my helper i will not fear what can human beings do to me Then we go back to verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, are you ready? We can confidently say together, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can human beings do to me? So every verse, then we're going to repeat that phrase. So again, the writer starts and says, Let brotherly love continue. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me or human beings do to me? So remember last week, I have to kind of clarify, because sometimes I think I can say things and they get misheard or misunderstood. Um, and so, as we talk about the reality of God's kingdom not being shaken, there may have been this um, idea that that I was proposing that that we don't have to do anything, that we don't have to really engage, we don't have to engage with culture or we don't have to engage with this world. We can just kick back in our barca lounger and just like let the Lord return when the Lord returns. Except that's not really the case. What is the case is because God's kingdom cannot be shaken, back to the previous section of text, then we can live into this new lifestyle without fear of what is going to happen. So what we talked about last week in the unshakability of God's kingdom provides freedom to live into what the writer of Hebrews is now going to challenge those who are listening. And the writer starts with this general importance of loving uh, each other, which is kind of a, um, well, it's kind of a big theme in the Bible. (laughs) You know, like, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. There's a whole bunch of stuff about loving each other in this, like, global, general sense. And as DC Talk taught us, love is not. Is a, is a verb. Remember that back in the day? So he starts, or she starts, the writer starts at this global level and then gets very specific and says in verse 2, "...do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware." Now all of us, "...the Lord is my helper, I will not fear." What can humans do to me? So yesterday we were in Cub. It was like this peculiar family uh, minus Wyatt uh, shopping trip, which is odd for me because usually I just go to the grocery store by myself. Um, And I was in over by like the chip aisle, and there was a mom and her little child was walking by himself. And I said, hey, buddy, trying to keep up with mom. I was like, okay. (laughs) And as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about the reality of the early 90s in Minnesota and how we had the Jacob Wetterling event that really changed how we view other people. How do we see strangers? Not stranger things, but how do we see strangers? Are they threats or are they potential friends? When we see a stranger, do we have this adverse reaction or do we have this curiosity? Because tribalism and partisanship that has infected our lives is a barrier to living fully into what it means to be a Christ follower. And notice how we accept and regurgitate language around other people To either include or exclude them. So when we think about certain people or categories of people, we label them with pejoratives so that we don't have to see them in all their humanness. We don't have to see them in all of their image-bearingness like this last fall when we were talking about, the, or last summer and into fall, talking about the homeless shelter, we see a person who is unhoused, and what do we say? Well, that person's a bum. We see somebody that doesn't fit into our categories, and we come up with a label, because if we label them, they somehow become less of a human being. We see somebody that we don't know, and we say, well, that's a stranger and stranger danger has been drilled into us again and again and again. Derek recommended I read this book like three years ago, and so I'm finally getting around to it. Saved by Faith and Hospitality. Joshua Jip says this, he says, God roundly condemns societies that oppress the vulnerable stranger, whereas individuals who love the stranger are righteous and loved by God. Our vocation as followers of Jesus Christ is to convert our hostilities into hospitality, welcome, and friendship. We are to convert our hostility into hospitality. Rosaria Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, yes, Scott, I'm quoting at least two writers today because they're much smarter than I am, Membership in the kingdom of God is intimately linked to the practice of hospitality in this life. Hospitality is the ground zero of the Christian life, biblically speaking. A more crucial question for Bible-believing Christians is this. Is it safe to fail to get involved? Is it safe to fail to get involved in the lives of those who are not like us. And the writer of Hebrews says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Hospitality is about seeing the humanness in the other person and then seeking to draw that person in so that we can enjoy fellowship together. Because God, being in his triune nature, shows us that hospitality and fellowship is how we are created to be. If we were created in the image of God and the likeness of God and God is in fellowship with the Trinity, then we are to be in fellowship with one another. Cockrell, in his commentary on this, points out that the author chooses to express this literally by saying, at the beginning, Love of brother and sister let it continue. Love of stranger do not forget it. They are not just to remember hospitality but to love hospitality. And I know so it's like, "Oh, Eric, you just that's all you ever talk about." I didn't come up with this text. <laughs> It says right here, do not neglect to show hospitality to your friends. Do not neglect to show hospitality to those people you like. Do not neglect to show hospitality to the people that look and act and think and talk like you do. Mm, No, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. What keeps us from showing hospitality? What keeps us from reaching out to someone and inviting them in? What barriers do we establish in our own minds and our own lives to living into hospitality? And not just hospitality to those people we like, but to those people who are strangers, different, vulnerable, unlike us. For me, I have this problem And I have unreasonable expectations for myself. Because if I'm going to have you in my home, well, we're going to eat some real food. (laughs) And my home should probably look in a particular way, and it should be going above and beyond. Or maybe the barrier that I create often for myself is frankly, I'm selfish. I don't want to have somebody over on Monday night because I want to do what I want to do. And if I invite somebody over, then what if they stay longer? And then, you know, I'm like, I need to plant the garden, the hogs need to be fed, cows need to be watered. I don't have hogs or cows. I just did a funeral for the great Rita Bilstrom, one of our own. And, and her grandkids and her kids talked about what, how she lived into hospitality with the help of Hamburger Helper and Three Can Chili. And I was like, I just wish I was more like Rita. Because I'm like heirloom fire-roasted to- tomatoes for 12 hours, sous vide prime rib as the meat. Beans that I have hand-shucked and dried and then rehydrated (laughs) with just a few herbs right out of the garden on top. And the cheese that we've been aging in the basement for just under three years. (laughs) Why do we do that? People don't care what's on the table. They just care that they're at the table. When we offer a a roof and a warm place to sleep, people don't care if it's a sleep number bed that they can dial in. They care that they're not sleeping underneath a tree. The Gospel and the entire Bible calls us to live into this. The problem is we gorge ourselves on Mass media and social media, and we are so infected by partisanship that we don't understand the reality of the truth of the gospel. Well, Eric, those people are, nothing else really matters. Those people are human beings that are created in the image and likeness of God. And this book, if we are to take it seriously, calls us to care and love for them. Period. Period. But for some reason, the voices in our head are louder from the outside than from the truth and reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can human beings do to me? And we thought that was hard. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Darla grew up in East Texas in an abused home for most of her life. At 19, a young man showed interest in her and she'd been kicked out of her family's home and so they became smitten together except she didn't realize he was a person who was involved in illegal activity and he ends up in jail, but she's already hooked into this relationship. And as he escapes from jail in Tyler, Texas, she picks him up and they flee north to Wyoming where, where they run out of money and, and this man, Jay, decides that, well, let's rob that RV over there and then we'll have a place to live and, and money And Darla, being wrapped up in this abusive relationship, enters the RV with Jay holding a gun, and they take these two individuals hostage, and they steal the RV. Three hours later, they are arrested. Darla, being 19 with no criminal record, only a record of abuse in her own life, is sentenced to 53 years to life in a Wyoming correctional facility. That was 1996. In 2012, a couple from Minnesota decides that they're going to be out in Wyoming, and the wife who is writing a book decides that she wants to get some intel on what life in a women's prison is like, and so they meet Darla. And they realize that Darla is a follower of Jesus Christ, and they hear her story, and they hear about what she has been through through her whole life and how now she has been redeemed by the Savior, and they realize that she is a sister in Jesus Christ. And so they spend the next nine years, going on ten years, caring for Darla, writing her, visiting her, praying for her, seeking the commuting of her sentence so that she can live into her fullness of life acknowledging all of the challenges that go around with her case. Seeking to embody and embrace this call. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Echoing, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And we prayed, we've prayed. we prayed for Darla over and over and God has answered that prayer and her sentence has been commuted except she has to serve another year and then two years in a halfway house spending the vast majority of her life incarcerated in a Wyoming women's prison. Now she is mentoring other ladies and sharing the hope that she has in Jesus Christ. What do we think about people that are in prison? I know we've often quoted Brian Stevenson, but this quote is too good. It is better to be rich and guilty in the United States of America than poor and innocent. When I was born, there were 329,000 people in prison in the U.S. By the time I turned 30, that number was 1.6 million. 1.6 million and now that number is far over 2 million. I have so many thoughts and feelings about the p- the prison system and we could have long conversations about this and we can discuss systemic change and I know we don't all share the same beliefs about prison and imprisonment. But I think we all agree with scripture. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. This can feel so overwhelming. But the call of Scripture, if we are to take it seriously, is to care for the vulnerable, the outcast, the immigrant, the orphan, the widow, the stranger, those who society deems as less than. When we look at the life of Jesus Christ, who does he associate with? He doesn't associate with the high people, he associates with the low people. He goes and, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, we're going to go and eat at your house. And the people, the elite say, how dare you go eat and associate with those people? And yet the writer of Hebrews says, if Because of the kingdom of God and the unshakability of it, because of all of these things that we've been talking about in Hebrews, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the freedom that we have in Christ, we just sang about the fact that the grave is not going to hold us down, that we are to live into caring for these people that are strangers and prisoners and mistreated. That is the call that we have, this lifestyle. How do we participate in that? And it becomes overwhelming, and yet we can't just let the overwhelming feeling paralyze us. We are to live into this call. And the writer doesn't stop there. The writer says, "Keep let the marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let marriage be held in honor among all, not just among those who are married. It is a call to the body to uplift those who are in a marriage covenant, to support one another, to watch kids of married couples together so that that they can be free to live into that union. This is not a solo effort, this is a bodily effort. We are to not only keep the marriage bed holy, meaning retain sexual intimacy in marriage alone, but also to help and support. I mean, this was written to a group of people that the men could do whatever they wanted to the women. They could divorce a woman whenever they felt like. They could have as many concubines as they desired. They could openly and easily participate in prostitution. And this is a countercultural call to live differently. We are called to live differently, and we as a body are called to live differently together, helping to honor and support marriage. When our friend says, I don't know if I can continue in this marriage, rather than saying, oh yeah, just find somebody else. We seek to engage and dig deeper. We seek to say, how can I come alongside and support you? How can I love you? How can I honor you and honor God through this? How can we hold each other's marriages in honor? And just when we think, like, yeah, the sexually immoral, God's going to judge them. Like, whoa, wait, can we just skip this next verse? Keep your life free from love of money. Mm. Be content with what you have. Ah." Next question. Contentment. Not a big American value. (laughs) Capitalism exists because lack of contentment thrives, and yet we are called to be content. We let ourselves off the hook around marriage, but then this gets right in our face. But isn't infidelity rooted in a lack of contentment? My spouse no longer fits what I desire, therefore I find another one. What does it look like to live into contentment, to live beyond fear and scarcity, to say, God, you have provided for me. You will never leave me nor forsake me. To live into this lifestyle where we are free to, to express the joy that is found in Jesus Christ, not fearing of what is going to come around the corner because the writer continues and wraps this section and says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can humans do to me? What is the lifestyle that we are called to as followers of Jesus Christ? If we are identified as followers of Jesus Christ, living as participants and inhabitants of the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken, What is this lifestyle that we are called to? It is not the American dream. It is not the American dream. Will we free ourselves from the infection of this world and live in the freedom of Jesus Christ to show hospitality to the stranger, to love the outcast, to go and care for the prisoner, to honor our marriages, to be content, to live without fear, knowing that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, we can say together, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can human beings do to me? Let's pray. God, you are so good. You are so good. And you love us through all of our brokenness and screwed upness. You came and you saved us through your son, Jesus Christ. You have rescued us and ransomed us to live in this kingdom that is yours, that is unshakable, to live a lifestyle that is so much different. So much different than our humanness wants to live. That is so much different than the world tells us we should live. Holy Spirit, remind us of that. Empower us. We cannot do it without you. Empower us to live into that. Not just today, every day. In Jesus' name. Please stand.